Hi everyone and welcome back to the latest episode of Build Your Future podcast. Within this podcast we cover all things property investing, property development and mindset. I've been away for a few weeks, been busy working on a, a few kind of cool bits, can't really talk too much about it right now but some really exciting bits that I'm looking forward to revealing in the next few weeks, few months so stay tuned. Without further ado though, I would like to introduce our panel today. Hiller X, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? We've got Thomas, Daniel and Louise. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Tom. How are we all doing? Yeah, all good so far. So let me introduce myself first and then we go in a circle, I guess. Sure. So uh, I'm Thomas Casper. I'm the founder of PillarX Limited in the UK. Um, I founded the company together with my brother Daniel and we have been in this property business for, yeah, we just celebrated our third anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, so I'll continue here. My name is Daniel Casper and I'm obviously the other brother <laughs> in the field here. Uh, yeah, we, we founded it to 2020 but there was a lot of stuff to do before the actual incorporation as well so i would say the actual start was was uh, somewhere in 2019 maybe mid of 2019 and yeah we focus uh, on buy to let properties and i'm louise and i'm uh, the latest addition to pillar x so i was Daniel and Thomas's first employee recruited back in 2022, the beginning of 2022. So halfway through the uh, the, the middle of the anniversary. So, yeah. Oh, good stuff. So you guys, well, you actually started just as kind of COVID was kicking off, right? Great time to, <laughs> to start. <laughs> well, yeah. we, all, we always say the same, right? Um, we are kind of COVID proven or a COVID proven company. So we really started in midst of COVID and the initial plan was to fly over and like found the company as you would. You would like um, get introduced to your accountant, solicitors and so on. But we basically couldn't fly over. So we needed to kind of improvise and yeah, do everything online as a lot of people doing it now, right? Absolutely. So let's start off with talking about how you guys kind of or why you wanted to step into property. So let's talk a little bit about your history, your experience, what you did kind of day to day before stepping into property full time. Um, yeah, may, may I make a start here? So I used to be an electrician, did an apprenticeship as an electrician quite a few years ago now. Um, and then I've done a lot of further training in the field of business administration. So um, I got to a point where I was a business unit manager and, and was basically responsible for about 50 to 60 electricians. Um, that's basically my background. So I was originally a warehouse worker, so I did my apprenticeship in the warehouse. Um, kind of you can compare it to Amazon or something like that, but just locally in Switzerland. <clears throat> and then I kind of after a few years switched to to uh, an office job. So I was a project leader for eight years. I handled like 
big projects all around the world. So UK, USA, you name the country and I've done projects there. And yeah, so I, I got into the kind of sales activities and did my bachelor on business economics. And yeah, that was my, or one of my previous jobs. Okay. And yourself, Louise? Yeah, so I'm professional, well, from a professional services background. So the last sort of 20 years, I've been working within law firms, um, predominantly as a HR advisor, um, dealing with like employee relations, that side of things, and then moved on to working um, as a project manager, reporting side of things and data analytics. Um, and then it was sort of back end of 2021, uh, I was look, just looking for a new challenge. Um, basically, Pillar X then popped up and I've always had a bit of an interest in, in property, having a few buy-to-let properties myself um, and the rest is history, I suppose. <laughs> oh, exciting, exciting times. I saw on Instagram, is it 18 properties you're currently at with your portfolio? Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> it's it's a bit outdated. Um, I To be honest, maybe Daniel can say, but I cannot remember. I think it's the 30th unit at the moment we are working on. Oh, wow. Yeah, so 29 completed and the 30th is in progress right now. Okay, so three years in and almost at 30 units, 10, yeah. 10 a year. It's not bad going, is it? Yeah. So tell me, I'm, I'm interested because I, I know a little bit about... Um, kind of Switzerland and the environment over there and a lot of investors come over to the UK because the property market's very different. So do you want to kind of give the audience a bit of information as to what the this market's like, the residential market is like in Switzerland and why a lot of investors come over here into the UK just to give them some context? Well, I would say you say a lot, but... Um... I don't think there are a lot of Swiss people coming into the UK market. So we know a few and obviously there is a like a a UK property investment group uh, over here in Switzerland. But there are probably, I don't know, like 20 or 25 or 30 people investing in the UK, like actively investing. Uh, other people are just looking into it, I would say. And obviously we don't know everyone, but um, yeah, that's it. And in Switzerland, I would say, like, in general, it's quite similar to the UK, but the prices to buy a property and especially to refurbish a property are a lot higher. And compared to the rental payment uh, that you get for, for one flat, for example, it's just not as interesting as it is in the UK for us. Sure. So if, if, if you miss, like, if you have a vacancy for, let's say, a month per year, you're already toast. So that's, sure. that's so property prices are high, uh, yeah. management's high, to, uh, the refurb costs are high, and therefore it kind of compresses your yield. So you're better off kind of coming over and expanding to the UK. And is that what kind of pushed you guys up north? Obviously, not being from the UK, did you have to do quite a lot of research at the start to kind of figure out where in the UK you wanted to, to go and use that as an area of operation? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we, at the very end, we got, um, how to say, kind of trained to, to look into the property market in the UK, right? So basically, the story starts even earlier. So I can still remember Daniel had uh, an interview back then as his 
in his former job with one guy and he asked him basically what his hobbies are and so on. And then the guy said, yeah, I'm quite into reading books, right? And Daniel kind of tested that and, and asked, yeah, what, what kind of book are you currently reading? And he said, yeah, it's uh, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, as you might know, right? And so we were, uh, or my, Daniel was kind of uh, curious about the book because he never heard of it before. And then said, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Let's le read this book because it sounds interesting. So we read the book and from there it started, right? So um, we kind of did our own research. We we listened to Rich Dad Poor Dad book and then we also listened or read, depends on what, what uh, book it was, um, all of the other books from Robert Kiyosaki. So basically around 20 books or so mm -hmm. came out from him and we kind of, yeah, read or listened to all of them. And from there on, there was a, an um, educational school in the UK, which was kind of a sister company from, from the Rich Dad Poor Dad company. And they, they introduced the UK market in Switzerland. So they came over like four years ago and did a, a seminar on property investing and so we, uh, we we attended that one, and from then on, we kind of knew, okay, it's very interesting. The, the UK property market is very interesting, so let's dive deeper into the, the market, right? And from then on, you create connections, you, you kind of... Um, yeah, talk to people. For example, you you know uh, Tom and Ashley, right? Yeah. So we we got in touch with them quite early and said, I think it was by accident. I just looked up property investors in the UK on Instagram, and we right away connected to Ashley first, and then also got introduced to Tom. And so that well, it really started for us, right? So uh, we we did some research, as Daniel already mentioned, the foundation of the company was 2020 right but the kind of creation of pillar x and the research has started way before 2020 so around yeah let's say 2018 or so so we did a lot of research in advance and started from there and when you compare like you ask why the north right when you compare the north and the south of uh, england for example it's the South is very um, similar to Switzerland, so the prices are very high. Um, the the margin you have and then the the income is also high, but compared to the return on investments, it's uh, lower, right? So we said it wouldn't make sense for us to invest in the South part because then we could do it in Switzerland as well because it's it's kind of the same, not the same, but similar uh, environment, right? So we said, okay, let's let's stick into the north part, also Scotland, and yeah, do the research there, get some help and connect to people around our three locations we are investing at the moment. Nice. I always find it funny, everyone kind of talks about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Robert Kiyosaki, and we always say he's kind of the, the gateway 
many people kind of read his book and then it kind of opens people's eyes. And then before you know it, you're kind of reading five, 10, 20 other books about kind of property investing and different kind of investment strategies and styles, etc. So it's a good place to start for sure. So obviously there you mentioned about kind of knowing Tom Henderson and Ashley and the importance of networking. I know that Tom specializes in HMOs predominantly. Is that what you guys are focused on or do you do kind of buy-to-lets or service accommodation or tell us a bit more about what your business kind of focuses on? Um, I can can cover that. So basically we are very much focused on buy-to-lets only. Uh, We've done two mixed-use deals yet. Uh, and so with one of them, it, it came so that we have a commercial unit as well. But that's more of an accident rather than a, than it was a plan. And the rest is buy to lets. And we've got some sort of a mini, mini HMO, which is not really an HMO. It's just a flat that we converted into a two-bed minimo with two en suite okay. uh, to, to sort of test how it's like to run an HMO on a very small scale. And that's what we basically focus on. What we are going to focus on, not probably not focus on, but what we are going to try out is um, serviced accommodation as well. Uh, we've got a very tiny flat in our Liverpool uh, region, and we'll try that out, uh, build our network, uh, build our power team around that and see how it works and if that's if that's going to be like successful and interesting in terms of rewards for us we might consider doing more serviced accommodation as well that's exciting again it goes to show the power of networking if you kind of went to some events started speaking to people you'd find people that most likely had serviced accommodation units within liverpool who then kind of advise you what are the um good areas what are the kind of the the usual kind of tenant types in terms of who would usually book out the Airbnb service accommodation, for instance, and usually like length of stays and ROI and all that sort of stuff. And I find property people are usually quite forthcoming with that sort of information. Obviously, there's a degree of competition and they want to kind of want to cannibalize their market audience, let's say, but equally, everyone's there to kind of support each other and, and help each other win. You might have some trades that they can get some assistance from and they might have some local knowledge that you guys can get assistance from. It's all kind of creating that win-win environment, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you you talking about competition. I don't think uh, that's the right word. I don't think there is competition in this market because if there is enough deals around everyone can have a piece of the cake, right? So we are not really focused on, let's say, to be the best or to beat someone who is doing the same as we are doing. So it's for us, it's like, if we can recommend something to someone else, which we cannot get the hands on or don't want to get the hands on because it's an HMO or it's something, it's not in our area or something like that then we can just share it and and talk to people we know in this kind of area. So, and then it's a win-win and win situation for us as we always speak about win-win-win, right? So if everyone wins, then yeah, we are happy at the end of the day. No, absolutely. It's it's a no-brainer when you create a win-win-win environment, as you just said there. So run me through kind of the, the start then. So you kind of 
came to the UK, did some analysis, decided in the areas you wanted to invest. Did you use kind of your uh, own capital to kind of start and then did you recycle that money or did you do JVs with investors or did you kind of take money in and then use that um, to purchase kind of cash or or what was kind of the the strategy in terms of purchasing and expanding on this portfolio? Because 30 units over three years is, is quite a good uh, aggressive approach and I'm sure many people would be keen to know more yeah I would say at the very beginning it was vital for Thomas and me to to sort of prove that we can do it and that it works so we used our own capital some of it was a was a loan but a personal loan it was not an investor it was a commercial uh, bank that gave us a loan but that was only like a, a little bit and the rest was private capital basically and it was a very very cheap flat up north in in uh like the very last edge of glasgow or even like scotland you could always say uh, almost say and we funded us funded that uh, refurbished it let it out and refinanced it with our so almost all of our own money and once that was done We've sort of proven the case and could talk to investors or potential investors more confidentially. So that was, I would say, the start. And we didn't have that many like connections that were interested in investing with us. So that was a, a really hard job to then start doing, obviously. But yeah, that you asked about the start. That was the start, yes. I think many people struggle at the beginning and so after six months of trying they might just kind of give up and go you know what this isn't for me I'm going to go back to my nine to five or or what have you and that's why people like yourselves that have been in the game for three years and you came from a different country and you didn't really have the the contacts or network and yet here you are three years on continue to aggressively expand there's a lot of value from there that I think a lot of the audience can get yeah I mean, maybe one more story to this. Uh, we were told that around £50,000 would be enough to to sort of cover your first deal. So that, that would be it. Uh, what we didn't know back then was that we sort of need £30,000 to... Uh, to get an education in property first and then another like £2,000 for opening a bank account and £2,000 for that and a little bit of accounting there. So we had these like £50,000 ready, but almost nothing was left when we were actually to start investing in a property. So yeah, that was that was the point where maybe many people say, okay, yeah, I'm out here. So that's too expensive and we can't go, can't go ahead. I think yeah. that also where a lot of people get stuck is they all pay for a certain level of education and then it'll open a door to something else for instance you might go and get educated on basic buy to lets for instance and during that course you'll hear a little bit about hmos and people go oh that's that's interesting and then they then pay for a course to go learn about hmos and then while doing that they'll hear a little bit about service accommodation then they'll pay for a course to go on service accommodation and you get stuck in this cycle of <laughs> you're learning something new and they talk about kind of the golden penny or shiny penny syndrome where you learn this new thing and it's don't get me wrong it's exciting to learn new stuff and new strategies and everything else but actually if you never apply anything 
then yeah. is it time well spent and money well spent? And so it seems like, did, did you guys kind of invest in kind of the property education in, in the UK then? And how did you find that? Well, <laughs> yeah, funny story. Um, we actually invested quite a bit of money into property education from the UK, right? And we will never say it was not worth it. But as you already explained, Tom, it's a bit scratching on the surface of buy-to-lets, then HMOs, then a bit development and this and that, right? And everything sounds very interesting. However, if it comes to execution, you have to execute, right? And as as we just mentioned before, it's the consistency and the, I, I think the mindset that pushes you forward or has to push you forward to to yeah stick to your plan right you can invest or yeah you can buy a course for 10000k or or even more right um at the end of the day the course is ending and then you get some knowledge and then you have to either decide it's nothing for me but then it's a worth of money or it's something i'm interested in and then yeah, pursue it, right? And that's something we we learned from our property course in in the UK. We kind of got to know a lot of Swiss people, like because this was like Switzerland focused audience. Okay. And we we got to know a lot of Swiss people, or yeah, Swiss people back then. And we can say we are. Almost the only one back from this course are still investing in property. The, the other like participants, they kind of, yeah, scrapped, let's say scrapped the whole plan after half a year, right? And there is this point then when you say, okay, this is all, uh, uh, not worth it. It's not working. It's so hard and, and, and blah, 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 right? But it's, it's really about you and, and not, you don't really have to, I mean, let's say it would be nice to know in advance that uh, spending 10 grand on a property course is not really worth it because you get a lot of uh, information for free nowadays, right? Let's say you can connect to Ashley and talk with her about property investments and she can share yeah, her her great knowledge about what she has done in the past, right? Or you can contact Tom or any other person who is really doing this kind of business, right? So we started with a educational part, but then also said maybe for the amount of money we invested for the education, it might not be worth, but we stick to it and yeah, kind of do it, right? Yeah, so I think it's a good place to start by taking that next step and applying the information that you learn. And you said there that a lot of people that you kind of met stepped away. What, from what you've seen, what were kind of the key reasons why people you think kind of gave up? It's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the normal, let's say the basic education they, they tell you about a uh, after a course like this, it's like Daniel said, you only need 50k and then you buy a house then you refurbish it and then you refinance and so and so on. it's like a, it's almost like a game right but there is always a toilet leaking there is always a tenant maybe not behaving there is always a, a rent payment uh, 
delayed. Uh, there is always something happening, right? So it's not really, it, it's a nice investment and it pays off very nicely, but it's not like you're investing 50k and then it's all good and you don't have to do anything. It's not. A lot of people compare property investing to a, a off, a hands-off investment, right? And that's basically not what it is. It's a hand-on investment and it depends on your power team and your people around you how hands-on or hands-off it is. But at the end of the day, it's hands-on at uh, yeah for a certain amount anyway, right? So you're telling me there that it's not passive. It's not passive income. <laughs> well, the rent, the rental income is passive, right? But the letting agent calling you, there is a toilet <laughs> leaking. That's not uh, passive. <laughs> so how did you actually, but before I ask that next question, I, I'll ask uh, this one. So how would you set your parameters for investing? Do you base it on an ROI? So it must hit a certain yield to buy a particular property or is it, you base it on um, kind of the BRR model of when you refinance, do you only want to leave £5,000 in, for instance? What's kind of your benchmarks or of what you'd kind of say is a, a good opportunity and one that you'd um, put to the wayside? Um, I can elaborate on that, but I would like to bring in Louise here, maybe to your for, uh, previous question, just to ask the question to Louise, how passive is it? Because <laughs> Louise handles a lot of our daily uh, business and she takes the calls and makes the calls. So uh, what would you say, Louise, how passive it is? Well, it, it can take a lot of a lot of time. Um, you know, we've got letting agents that are managing all of these like issues that can pop up at any time. It could be the worst time of day. But still, we want to we're still having a hands on approach. So. For me, I'm constantly challenging our letting agents, you know, when there's a when there's an issue with the property. And that could be anything. We don't want just, you know, the cheapest deal to be done or the cheapest fix to be done. What we want is we want it, you know, the job to be done at its best ability, at its most effective, most efficient. You know, we want to do things right for our tenants, not just for us in the pockets of Pillar X, but for our tenants as well. So there's a lot of time, a lot of effort, and that's why Daniel and Thomas have employed me to to take away. So they can have the Pillar X can have the passive the passive income. Um, but that's why I'm here to to be on the ground basically. Following on from that then, Dan, before you answer the other question. So Louise, how do you manage it in the sense that you invest a few areas across kind of the north of the UK and um, and obviously into Scotland as well. So there you have a few different agents. Uh, I can imagine a few different teams that you work with in terms of maintenance, etc. So, is it how challenging is it kind of managing those kind of three kind of target areas that you're operating in? So, I mean, in in Scotland, we we can have a we have one um, letting agent that well. We have a couple up there actually, um, but we always ask to deal with one person in that. In, within that letting agency and we do have really good relationships with each of our letting agents to the point that if we're not happy then we will look elsewhere because it's really important that we get the right service for our properties and then how about kind of the the maintenance side do you guys kind of i guess are managing the refurb as well right if you're uh kind of 
operating across three or four different parts of the UK, then you have three or four different teams and how is it kind of managing that side? So I suppose in, in Liverpool, which we've got our biggest project at the moment with a sort of a massive reef uh, renovation, you know, we've just got one um, one property sourcing agent that manages that for us. Um, but, you know, it, it, some days can be quiet, some days can be can be really busy. So each day is different. No two days are the same. Sure. You just got to take each day as it comes, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Full of surprises. <laughs> cool. So Dan, going back to um, the question then in terms of ROI, what sort of what are your parameters for investment? Um, we set a couple of parameters, I would say, but the main goal for us, I would say for the first five years probably, is cash flow. Uh, so what we look for is a good cash flow and, and we actually set that cash flow as a pound amount. So we would like to get 150 to probably 200 pounds in cash flow per unit net, which is almost unachievable for an international investor. Uh, there are calculations that, that end up, I don't know, equals five pounds net which you know is not um, a good number because if there is one <laughs> single payment missing, you end up paying the next five years for that missing payment. So that's basically the most important thing for us. And obviously this is connected to return on investment too, but we are not too bothered about that. So something between 10 and 20% return on investment, so our own invested money, is a good number for us. But if it's like a little bit of, an, of a lower number, but we get 220 pounds net as a cash flow, we bother about the return on investment in five or 10 or 15 years. Um, when we get to a point where we can say, this is now enough cash flow to cover all the costs and even gives a little bit out at the end of the day, we can then focus on better return on investments. And as a second sort of param parameter is is the money left in the deal. And that's, as, as our requirement, we always talk in units. So a flat is a unit or a single house is a unit. We, we'd like to not leave too much money in a unit. So zero is obviously the best number, which you always, not always, but almost don't get. And we have properties with £5,000 left in a deal, which is amazing for us. But we have properties with £30,000, £40,000 left in a deal, which is not a great number. Um, but that's it. So we, we said, let's focus on, on cash flow first. And then we look for the rest later on. And sure. So with, yeah. with cash flow being so important, I take it obviously with Louise coming on that you both in terms of Dan and Tom are, are full time in property. So how long were you investing in property for before kind of leaving the day job and and kind of I take it you guys have moved to the UK full time now or are you kind of living here part residence or can I give us a, a bit of that structure and um, how long it took you to kind of be able to live off your property income and uh, and leave the nine to five. 
Do you want to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yes and no at the same time. So we, we do live in Switzerland, except Louise, obviously. Louise is, is uh, like on the ground for us. She's, she's living in the area of Liverpool and we live in Switzerland and we are not going to move over to the UK. So it's never been the plan and it's not going to be the plan. So we are international investors and that's going to stay like this. Uh, we always say we travel to the UK like probably four to six times a year. can be as, as short as three days. It can be as long as four weeks, uh, depending on what's going on in our business. Um, our job, so especially Thomas's and my job, is to sort of to know the people, to, to lead the people from abroad and to network with everyone and to know everyone. So our job is not to lead the project. That's what our team is for. And if there is anything on a daily business that doesn't work well, that's Louise's job. So Louise is going to take care of, of a project leader that doesn't deliver like pictures, for example. Yeah. And so we, we mostly live here in Switzerland. And up until the point of 2022, uh, we, we both worked part-time for other jobs. And then we slowly left the part-time jobs. But there is still some side income we generate here in Switzerland from side jobs. So we are totally aware of that's going to take a while, even some years, until we can actually live from it. And there are many, many decisions we made that made this even more difficult. So we hired Louise. We pay Louise a salary. We, we've got like mobile phone subscriptions for all of us, which is also a cost to the company. And every time we increased the income, we increased also the spendings. But now we've got like a solid, I would say a solid foundation, a solid company working. And we can now work on more income, which equals to to more salary and more like, yeah, I would say full-time property investment for Thomas and me as well. But we, we couldn't live from property only right now. That's not possible for Thomas and me. Okay, interesting, interesting. So you guys are kind of focused on expansion, capital appreciation. It's interesting there that you said kind of cash flow was a key um, indicator for you, but then you prefer buy to lets. While most people are so kind of keen to get out the day job, they'll do um, rent to rent or they'll do kind of HMOs and it seems like you guys have kind of looked at those and said that actually these are kind of our core principles and we're going to be focusing on buy to let as our investment strategy. I think our it, it's our long-term vision and our long-term mindset that, that we are focused on. So you can make a lot of different investments and I'm not talking about uh, property investing now. You can do a lot of different uh, other asset classes where you can make quick money for after two, three, four months, right? But we are really into this for the long term. So that's why we said the buy to let, even if there are like, let's say, compared to the return on investment, better uh, strategies, for example, HMOs or, or developments or whatever. Um, we are focusing on buy to lets because it's, uh, 
Yeah, I would say uh, uh, one of the most sustainable strategies when it comes to property investing. So you don't have the high turnover in a buy-to-let uh, compared to an HMO, right? And that's something we say, even if it takes longer and and maybe the return on investment is lower, whatever low is for, for every person, right? Or, or like the requirement for every person is different. Uh, we are still focusing on the buy-to-let strategy, right? And that's something we we think is sustainable for us. And that's why we very early prepared like an assistant to the company. We, we said, okay, we earn um, quite a bit of money out of the, let's say the, the first 10 or 15 units um, after, after one and a half year. But now it's taking a lot of, yeah, it's quite time consuming for us and we cannot really handle it anymore we are like focused on or still focused on the side jobs focused on the property business so we need someone on the ground who is reliable and who we can like hand over stuff especially when it comes to chasing people doing admin stuff and all this kind of um yeah activities and then that's why we said we need Luis. We we cannot live with Luis anymore. We need someone like Luis who is on the ground and can work as she is working for us. And yeah, even if it means um, don't cannot cannot recall a number or whatever, but it's not even important. Even if it means it lowers our cash flow, right? It doesn't matter to us. We focus on the long term, and this is something that will pay off in the long term, right? For sure, it's good for our audience to hear about the well, it's the, the tortoise and the hare and focusing on the, the longer term investment strategy. You see some people in property are here today, gone tomorrow. They kind of turn up, they've done one or two deals, they've got the flashy car, they've got you know the, the nice watch and everything else. And then six months later, they've gone bust or something's gone wrong. But actually, your view is in 30 years time we still want to be here and this is why we're focusing on buy to let and with buy to let they, they call it let and forget and yeah. so it's it's a far more kind of relaxed approach and okay that reflects the roi and the degree of risk but in comparison to hmos they're a lot kind of less stressful and, and service accommodation as well so yeah interesting to hear your your view and your strategy on that so run me through this um this latest deal in liverpool then Well, would you like Thomas, shall I? Or would you like Louise? <laughs> I would say as it's Daniel's responsibility, Liverpool, the Liverpool area, uh, you can go ahead. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure there. Yeah, so it's so what we bought is basically three rundown properties uh, next to each other. So like number 95, 97 and 99 looks like one at the same building from the outside but it's three freehold properties with um, three stories each and there used to be two flats in each house and one commercial unit on the ground floor so basically nine units all together uh, one commercial unit was tenanted this is actually our um, letting agent from our Liverpool power team. So that's how we came across that deal. 
Okay. And the other two commercial units were not in a shape of uh, that you could ever use it. So they sort of started something, but we don't know what. Uh, it's just not possible, not even a, as a warehouse. And then the the three, like no, the six flats above, like on the first, on the second floor, they, I think five out of six were tenanted. But I don't know if you or I would want to live in that flat. So that was really run down, especially some of those flats. And we first wanted to uh, change the use class from commercial to residential in two houses and keep the, uh, the letting agent in one of those houses. And then we sort of changed strategies as our tenant also had his requirements and said, okay, let's make a full residential block of apartments there. So and what we've done is basically we handed in a planning application to change the use class of the whole of the of the ground floor from commercial to residential. And the plan was to get nine flats in those three buildings. Okay, and then, these studios, one beds, two beds? Uh, it were three two beds existing, three one beds existing, and the idea was to produce three new two beds on the ground floor. Okay. Um, a little bit later on, there, there came another idea into our, our minds to split one ground floor in even two smaller studios. So that would equal 10 flats in total. Uh, the idea was that Thomas and me have a personal, very small studio as sort of our home base when we are over in the UK. Because this way we could sort of cut costs when it comes to hotel bookings and everything when we are over in the UK. Um, so we handed in two planning applications. The first one was approved only like 14 months later or something. And, That's good going. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is still pending and it was only postponed three times yet. So we await like a result. I don't even know anymore. Like yeah, in, it's in, next in week, days, right? <laughs> Next or, or the week after. But it could also be that we get a postponed message again from the planning officer. Um, yeah. So that that's sort of the overview about the project and six out of those 10 flats are already finished and tenanted uh, that they, they sort of flew away. So when, when we finished uh, the property, it took like two, three weeks, maybe four for the last one. And then it was all filled with new tenants. Oh, great. And the two on the ground floor as of the delay from the planning application are almost finished. I would say four weeks out before we finish up and then the pending planning application for the two small studios. Yeah. That's sort of the point where we wait and then we can start or, or continue building those two flats or two studios. So I take it you had to evict the current tenants while the works were taking place, correct? Um, yes. Some of them we had to evict. Some of them were looking for a new place anyway. Okay. But yeah, that's true. So how to, was that process? Well, I, I would say I, I hand over to Louise here because <laughs> yeah, I would say so too. <laughs> with a lot of that, yeah. Well, we we did have some that were you know that did have some you know new premises lined up, 
Um, but we did have one unfortunate tenant which just couldn't find, well, they could find properties, but they were just in a really unfortunate situation that they had to have an eviction notice before they could actually be placed into um, other accommodation, sure. which was, yeah, it was, it wasn't a nice process, to be honest, um, but we supported them throughout. You know, we offered financial support to help them in finding a new, a new premises as well. Um, but it was just their circumstances that um, that they were stuck with. So in the end, we you know we we came to a you know a, a solution between both of us, and we were able to then you know move forward with the project. But yeah, it wasn't a very nice process to go through. Um, but we supported the tenants where we were able to, um, and they were very thankful for for our support as well. That, that's nice to hear. It's nice that you can kind of tackle that with empathy and compassion as well. So sometimes people get so fixated on the numbers and can be quite aggressive, and actually, it's not always the best solution. Sometimes, exactly. by you know, you know just, this was just somebody's being a human home. being and yeah, and treating it well. So. Obviously, we just spoke there about evicting tenants. So does that mean you have to evict your letting agent as well if you'll be doing flats on the ground floor? I bet they're happy about bringing that deal to you. He left us. Uh, well, I wonder why. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he found a, a great place more in the city centre where all the letting agents are. And I mean, his original plan was to stay for many years. But then he said, I, I can't miss that chance. It's, it's a great spot and I need to be there. And we would have kept him. But when he said, I'm going to move out in a couple of months, we were even a little bit happier than before because yeah. to change the whole thing into residential was a huge advantage for us too. Perfect. Well, it sounds like that worked out well for everyone. So how did you finance this purchase? Was this kind of investor finance or was this um, a bridge? How did you kind of go about structuring the purchase and the, the refurb of this one? It's, it's all together. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the um, overall project costs are around six to 700,000 pounds. So we are talking about purchase price and refurb costs, solicitor costs, uh, stamp duty, all the, the nice bills you get from investing in property. But basically, um, might go a little bit back as a background. Um, we, as Daniel said, we financed our first property on our own because especially when you have Swiss uh, investors, they are kind of want to have proof and, and track record. So this is really possible, right? But after the, the first property, we said, look, we have done it. It's working. And, and now we can progress from, from here on. So we got in contact with different people, talk about our business, uh, networking events and yeah, everything you can imagine. Right. And, from then on, we got in contact with many people who were interested and are still, um, yeah, our in investors. And the the project in Liverpool was actually financed by a bridge loan, so partly by a bridge loan, because back then we had still projects going on where we can take out the bridge, uh, which generates us or which gave us access to to money quite quickly so we can use that for um, 
for the refurb costs. And the rest, I would say like 50% uh, of it was mainly by our angel investors. Okay. So I take it you bought it outright and then submitted a planning application. You didn't buy it subject to planning. So that 14-month delay, did that cause kind of concerns and stress? Or was the income coming in from the current kind of commercial tenants and residential tenants, was that covering uh, the, the bridge and the, the finance that you'd taken out? Um, we might need to add something here. The, we said we wouldn't have needed the bridge at this point. So the purpose of getting a bridge for us was to actually test how it works with a bridge. And this test cost us around £40,000 or something. So, But we said there will be a day when we need a bridge urgently, mm. like tomorrow. And so, as Thomas said, we had some properties to use as security because there was no charge in it. So we said, let's use these properties as a first charge and get a bridge and let's see how that works. Because everyone, especially the mortgage brokers say, that's around four weeks and then you got the money. Uh, just that they forgot to, to mention it's four months or like even more like six months or something in our case. And so that was the intention of getting a bridge. So we didn't really calculate the bridge into that deal, it was more of a of a learning for us. And, and luckily, we could pay the bridge back way earlier than expected. So we could also spare a bit money there. But basically, that, that was the intention. Nice. That's a good idea. I find sometimes when people, their backs are up against the wall, they'll then kind of step into a bridge or something like that when they've never done it before, when actually it sounds here that you're in a relatively comfortable position, you thought, this one will be a good one to cut our teeth, learn yeah. how a bridge works, learn the operations, and then should we need one in the future, then we've been through the process, we know how to structure it, and we can plan for the outcome moving forward. In terms of planning, we had gone a little bit into risk there. So we actually submitted the planning application before we even bought it. So... And it wasn't subject to in a successful planning application because we could have done different things with the property even if we didn't get the planning approval. So that's always very important to us that we have many exit strategies to use yes. when we go into a property. But we actually submitted that up front, then we bought it and then we just waited. But we said, okay, this is a little bit of architect costs, a little bit of our time compared to months of maybe time we get at the end because it would have taken i don't know 16 or 18 months even for us to wait after we bought the property if we hadn't submitted the application up front yeah absolutely so out of interest then we just spoke about kind of the bridge and raising finance and things do you find it easier to raise investment now now you've kind of been around for three years and you've obviously got some projects under your belt or did you find it kind of quite easy at the start by the amount of networking you were doing how how do you kind of find raising finance now do you find it easier or harder than it ever was before mm, i would say both so it's it's easier because you have a track history right but let's say if you have an investor who is 
committed for the short term and short term we are talking about maybe one one year so the project is done after one year and you pay the the investor back then it's like you're back to square one right right you 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 have done the deal you, you, everything was fine but then you kind of want to move forward to the next project and maybe all the the other money or yeah the other investments are already on the go um you kind of need new money right and approaching then new people um which you don't know yet is still until now like a procedure right it's not like you talk to someone and after two days he says hey you're a cool guy let's just invest right it's building it, it takes a lot to build a relationship and we always if you can call it like this calculate in six to 12 months to build a relationship with an investor right they are not no one is as mad as investing or talking today and investing tomorrow uh, i wouldn't do it uh, the same so it's like building this relationship takes a long time or a longer time right but it's it's easier nowadays because you already created connections and you have kind of repeating investors who are very happy with their returns very happy how everything went and they said okay the deal is done now what have you what what do you have on your table next right so you can connect again and talk to these existing investors but let's say for let's say for new investors coming on board yeah it's always the same procedure it starts with the first um, meeting and it ends with the 100 after six months or something like that so it's it's getting easier with existing one but same as uh, at the very end uh, at the very beginning for new ones yeah absolutely i'd agree the the difference between commercial finance and individual investor finance is commercial it all comes down to the numbers right your bridging or your mortgage it all comes down to the numbers and everything else doesn't really matter while with personal investment that you're raising from uh, an investor that you're building a rapport with that could be their uh, inheritance money it could be kind of their personal savings their life savings and so obviously yeah. these things have a lot more tied to them so it's important to build that rapport and and need to kind of document your journey and the, the sooner you can start from networking and building these relationships the better yeah so looking towards the future then what are your what are your plans do you kind of have the goals for the rest of 2023 and 2024 didn't realize it's still 2023 um, <laughs> you can't be wishing time away <laughs> yeah i mean we've got a long-term vision of us teaching especially younger people what we do here and it's not specifically or not only about property it's more about the mindset of investing money and with pillar x we sort of want to prove that it works but it doesn't work overnight and that's sort of the long-term vision um to actually yeah do the job better than we were taught in in well, like many many courses when we started and as for pillar x if we just look at it as an investment like a property investment company we obviously want to grow and we would like to to keep our 
strategy or our vision in terms of win, win, win or no deal. So, I mean, everything with us is orange. So you see even like the TV screen in the background <laughs> of Thomas is orange and the chair. So we want to build a brand like the orange guys or the orange company. And if you come across any sort of property, whatever, investment or property meeting or property, whatever, would be cool to recognize the orange guys and the orange team. Um, so that's sort of what we are up to. But like the long term goal is is education in that field. Nice. Do you guys know Tej Singh, Tej Talks? He's kind of Mr. Yellow, so you guys can be a uh, Team Orange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, cool. Did you? Is there anything else that you wanted to expand on that, Tom? Mm, I mo- mostly it's like Daniel talking a lot, and I'm just sitting back and and listening to the stuff he's saying. But um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. For us, maybe something little to add is like the educational part is the long term vision for us because we weren't taught better back then, right? So basically, when I look back at my apprenticeship or even before in high school, um, you you are never taught about, or you were never taught about money and how to invest and how to do the due diligence or whatever it is. So this is a topic in even in Switzerland. In Switzerland, you will think, okay, Switzerland, every person is rich, right? Everyone has a million on the bank account, which is, fun fact, it's not true. (laughs) But uh, yeah, even in Switzerland, there are a lot of, let's say, poor class people, right? And it's it's so sad to see that we are not educated in this topic about investing, cash flow, capital appreciation, and, and so on. So this is the goal for us to really... Not not like offering a course and then you get your your one weekend course and then you're fine or good to go. It's like really educate people what you can do with money, how it works, what can be the risks and so on. And this is the this is nice to talk about that in the future because we have proven track record and we can say, look, we started five years ago and it takes a lot of um commitment to to do so but if you do you can be as the orange company right for sure no that's good to hear i I share kind of a similar ethos although i'm sad to hear that not everyone in switzerland's uh multi-millionaire i was hoping to get myself a a swiss girlfriend but uh that one will have to wait i guess so how how can guys uh get hold of you moving forward is it kind of social media what would be the best way if people want to kind of reach out and connect yeah, we are, we are all over the place. So you, you'll find us on Instagram, on LinkedIn. And I would say the best way to find us is, is www.pillar-x.com. And there you will also find all the links to the social media platforms. There is even a blog uh, that we create every now and then um, with very interesting topics. So I, I would say start there and then the rest of the links you will find Perfect. Well, Dan, Thomas, Louise, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks very much, Tom. Lovely speaking to you. Yeah, thanks too.